Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. I want to talk to you about making excuses. Now, I have to warn you that some folks may disagree with me, may even get upset with me on this. That's okay. I just want to share what I see in God's Word. If I have something wrong, then anyone can feel free to correct me through the Word, and that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. But otherwise, unless there is some correction from God's Word, you know, we need to take this up with God and the Lord and accept what they're telling us in the Bible, right? Okay, so first, let's look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 4 through 9. For God commanded, saying, now, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, okay? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now here, Jesus is making a comparison of how we should follow God's word and how the Pharisees were following it. In this case, the tradition being talked about is the fact that you know, you're supposed to take care of your father and mother, right? But what the Pharisees were doing, rather than share what they had and their wealth and take care of their father or mother, you know, their aging parents, they would say that everything they had was donated to God, to the temple. Even though they were still, of course, using and enjoying all that. So they were finding a way to not share and take care of their parents properly, their aging parents, right? So they were finding a way to get out of that, which was their responsibility in the law. They were supposed to take care of their father and mother when they were getting old. That's something we do. In return, because our parents take care of us when we're young. So here, Jesus reprimands the Pharisees for replacing a direct command from God with a tradition, and it's a tradition they created to circumvent God's will and word. And in this case, this is pretty selfish, really. However, we have similar practices sometimes where we make excuses for not following God's word, for not doing what we should, we sometimes create traditions that we let override what we're taught and what we're told to do in the Bible. We use word games and gimmicks to excuse ourselves from following God's commands. Now, to be fair, some of us have been deceived into believing that these practices are of God. We've been taught this from the time we were young, some of us. But they are not. They are not from God. God has plainly told us in no uncertain terms how we are to be and what he expects from us. As any father or parent knows, children cannot be expected to follow instructions they do not understand. 
And that's why the Bible is so plain spoken and clear about really almost everything, but especially how we should act and what our responsibilities are. And that's so we will understand. Again, God can't expect us to follow rules that we don't understand. So we can go back to the Old Testament and find these instructions given to the Israelites. Now remember, what Jesus taught was already present in the Old Testament. He was teaching out of their old law, out of their scrolls. And if you remember, at one point, he, he opens the scroll of Isaiah and, and teaches, you know, well, he reads it. I can't remember if he actually teaches. I think at that time, he was just reading that, saying this is fulfilled. The only new things were Jesus' sacrifice for us so that no other sacrifice would be needed and we would be reconciled to God by faith. But even that was prophesied in the old scriptures. So you could say that wasn't new, but it was new. Okay. But all of his teachings, all of the Lord's teachings came out of the scriptures they had available at that time. So nothing in the New Testament really existed except Jesus himself right then, when, when Jesus was here. So one such practice we have, and I'm just going to use this one as an example. I'm not trying to say that everything we do is wrong or that we have a lot of things that are wrong, but I'm just saying we have some things like this that have become traditions and teachings that are incorrect. They are just incorrect. They are just wrong. We need to watch for these and and weed these out. Now, are a lot of these teachings worth splitting your whole congregation over and causing a big bunch of distress? No, they are not. They are not. But still, these are things that we need to gradually just teach and let people decide. Not force it on them with a hammer, not beat them over the head, not anything like that. We just want to teach these things and let them decide. Over time, I believe when you present the truth, over time, people will see it and will follow that. But you have to give them the chance, and you have to give God's Word a chance to work on them. Only the Lord can change people's hearts. We can't. All we can do is present to them and then let, let the Lord do His work. He will do it. So anyway, to continue on, this is just one example one practice where some congregations, some teachings that are overriding God's word is the belief that the congregation's funds that are collected, the offering, is only for very limited purposes. Usually, this takes the form of not helping people in need. Sometimes even not helping the people of their own congregation, which is, I think is blatantly wrong. I think everybody can realize that immediately. So I want to address this issue in particular as an example of how we can make excuses to not follow God. Now, some of the excuses given for not helping people in need, like in our community or that people are not a member of our congregation. Now, and sometimes, like I said, some some will even say not in the congregation, though I think that is blatantly wrong. There are excuses that we give. And it's things that have been taught over the years, but these things are not really scriptural. They're not really taught by the Lord. One excuse is we can't do that with the Lord's money. 
Another excuse is that's an individual responsibility. We can't do that as a congregation. Another is these funds are just for helping other Christians. And then a, a final one that I'm using, I'm using these four excuses. There could be many more. We do not have the authority to do that. We only have authority to do what is in the Bible. That's kind of a weird, vague statement, but we will get to that. So, first, let's look at the first of these excuses. We can't do that with the Lord's money, basically saying the money we have given is the Lord's money. The offering that the congregation has collected is the Lord's money, and it can't be used to help someone in need. Okay? Now, we say, well, what's the scripture for this? And usually we're told that we're following the example of the early church and we're going by uh, an example that will be cited from Acts where some churches sent some funds back to Jerusalem to help those Christians at that time. There was a famine occurring. And they'll say that this is a binding example, a limiting example, and this is the only example that you can follow. So this is in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. And I'm going to read this example because it is a good example, but we'll discuss that in a moment. This is Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, there will be some other references to this event throughout some of the epistles, and I can't remember if it's referenced again at some point in Acts, but I wanted to mention this here. Now, this is a good example. This is a, a, an example that we should follow, that definitely congregations can help other congregations. You can help mission work in other countries. You can help congregations in other countries. However you want to look at that, definitely a good example. Not putting that down at all. But saying that that example is the only thing you can follow and use, the problem with that, it's like taking an example math problem and saying that that problem that I was given as an example out of the book is all the teaching in the book, and it's not correct. It's like saying that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is the only math problem there is, and that's just not the case. But that is how some people look at these examples, and I guess that is why, in the end, I'm kind of putting the argument out against Um, These examples are good examples. We should follow these examples, but they are not limiting examples. We could go further into that. I'm not going to talk about that right now. I'm going to move on and talk about another example. Okay, So, another example given in Acts that some consider to be binding and limiting is in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 45. Now, This, well, let's just read this. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 45. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. 
Now, again, this is a good example of Christian sharing. However, while we say that this proves again that we're limited to just sharing and helping Christians, which is one of our other uh, excuses, however, I'm not aware of any congregation that actually practices having all things in common. I don't see us selling all we have and sharing everything with our congregation. And I'm not even saying that I'm sure that would work. We've seen how communal cults get started and how that can cause problems. But they did that here, and we don't say that that part of the example is binding. We only say that the part of the example that says we just share within ourselves is binding. So I think that's a logical fallacy overall that that this is in any way a binding example. I think it is a good example, though, that shows how their hearts were toward one another. And I think that's the lesson we're supposed to learn. And in looking at those examples and in believing that those examples are binding and that they are limiting, which they do, if you follow that that idea that that those examples are binding and limiting, then you're limiting or changing the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels. And we want to be very careful that we don't do that. So anyway, we want to look at some scriptures from the Lord that are kind of forgotten when, uh, when we mention all of this. If you look at Luke chapter 11, verse 42, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Now notice what he's saying. You should still do these things like we should still help Christians and help other congregations and and help people like that. But we can't pass by justice and the love of God. We can't ignore doing the other things that the Lord also told us to do. We have to do everything, not just part of it. We look down at uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, and this is a very similar statement, and it's very, very similar, but it's not exactly the same. This is Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Again, the Lord is teaching again the same thing, that they have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Meaning, yes, we should follow the examples that are mentioned and given. Definitely, those examples in Acts are great, wonderful examples. But that example, or those examples, they are not encompassing of the whole law. They're not the rule themselves. They are only an example, just like in any math book or English book or anything like that. You're being taught and then you have an example problem. That problem does not represent all the teaching. 
It just represents an example to help you learn the teaching. So these are good examples, but they don't encompass everything. And more is expected from us. We can't just do half the job and go half the way. I think part of the reason some congregations are are dying and are fading away, dwindling, is that we're not doing enough in our communities. We're not doing enough to draw people in. Now, that's my belief. Um, I personally try to do things, and I know others try to do things, but uh, some of these excuses are part of our problem. So we'll, we'll continue on with that. What does, what does the Bible say about us giving? You know, what's the purpose? You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, it reads, Let him who steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Now, while this is mentioned in reference to not stealing, it still shows why we work our mundane jobs so that we may have something to give him who has need. Now, of course, we take care of our families and their needs, but with our abundance, we help others. So that's why when it says, you know, we can't do that with the Lord's money, that's not really true. All the money in the world is the Lord's money, and we've been told what to do to help others, to love others, to be a good neighbor, and even to be good and love and kind to our enemies. And you may consider the people in the world our enemies, though they're really not. They're just us without the Lord. They're not really our enemies. And so when we say we can't do that with the Lord's money, well, the Lord has everything in the world. All the money in the world is the Lord's, even even what uh, you might consider sinful people, which we are really sinful people ourselves, but let's just let's just let that go. Let's say that even uh, the lost, all the money they have is still the Lord's. He still lets them make money. He still gives them rain. He still gives them sunshine. So we can't say that we just can't do that with the Lord's money because it doesn't fit what we think in our heads. You know, God's ways are still higher than our ways. And it really takes a stretch. It really takes a push for us to get close. I'll say close to thinking his way. So let's look at our next excuse, though. That's an individual responsibility. We can't do that as a congregation. Now, honestly, there is no scripture for this. I'm just going to be blunt about it because. Neither God nor the Lord Jesus make any provision for whether we act alone or together. You'll notice all the commandments, all the things they teach. They're telling us how to do these things. We are always responsible to act according to God's word, whether we be by ourselves or in a group. We are always responsible to act according to God's word. So you can't limit our actions to being just individual or as a group or just as a group. None of our actions can truly be limited that way. So there is, because there is no, there is no scripture for that. We're always told to be the same 
to do the same, to always be ready, to always be prepared, to always be in the Word. These are things that we always should do. Notice, in the beginning, we'll say, and this is not strictly the beginning, but let's go back early. Let's go in the Old Testament. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 11, these commands, all of these commands, are to the entire nation of Israel. They're not to each of them individually. It's not something that was spoken to each one individually. It was spoken to all of them. It was given to all of them as a commandment as a nation. And this will give you an idea of what I'm referring to. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 11. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Now, so the first point I want to make is this is not limited to individuals or groups. This is something we should all be doing at all times and as a representation of the Lord representing Jesus on the earth. We should be seeking ways to do these things. But there is no contradiction or limitation to these verses regarding individual or group of any size. Now, I do want us to look at a couple of things here. In verse 9, he warns us against making excuses. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, the seventh year of the year of release. Now, that was an old rule they had. But still, he's saying, beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart. You may have a different wicked thought. You may think of a different excuse. It says, and your eye be evil against your poor brother. Sometimes we do look at and judge the poor in a bad way. It's true. And we're not trying to help them. Now, when we look at them and we're trying to help them, that's different. And, and you, may, you, know, you may need some discernment in those cases. Nonetheless, we don't want to have an evil eye against our poor brother. Now, there is another point, because a lot of time it says here, your brethren, your brother, and they say, well, that's just for... You know, that's just for the brethren. That's just for the congregation. But if you'll notice in verse 11, he really lays it out better. He says, open your hand wide to your brother, comma, to your poor and your needy in your land. So, not just your brother, but to your poor 
and you are needy, comma, in your land. We are responsible for the poor and the needy in our land, and that means in our communities. We're small congregations, so I'm looking at that as more of if we keep it to a Keep our, if we keep our responsibility to a reasonable size that we can expect to take care of and help, and that would just be in our immediate communities, that makes the most sense to me. Because then, if every congregation was doing that, then all of our communities collectively would benefit. And that would be all over the world, really. But nonetheless, and notice the blessings from this, the blessings from this. Um, because for this thing, the Lord your God shall will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. To contrast what people say about, well, that's an individual responsibility, and we can't do that as a congregation. Most of the Bible actually encourages us to work together, just like this here was to the entire nation that we just read. Well, let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Now, this is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is encouraging us to work together. This is strength in numbers is what we're talking about. The Bible clearly recognizes that, and we should as well. Um, I'm not sure where the idea came from that congregations couldn't work together to do some of these things and that they have to make that an individual responsibility, but nonetheless, the Bible actually encourages us to work together. So let's look at this from Jesus. Now this is Jesus, Matthew chapter 18, verses 18 through 20. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. He's actually encouraging us to gather together, to work together on things. And it's very unfortunate that so many Christians have been taught that they have to go it alone. That was never the intention. Not that that never happens in life. Sometimes we are on our own. We still have the Lord and God, so we're never truly alone. But sometimes we are working on our own. Nonetheless, the idea that it's an individual responsibility only is not scriptural in any way that I can find in the Bible. I don't see anything that tells us that any of our Christian responsibilities are solely based just for individuals. Yes, I am only responsible for myself, and I can't be responsible for the actions of others. That doesn't mean we can't gather together and work together and accomplish things together.
So the next excuse on our list. These funds are just for helping other Christians. That kind of relates back to what we talked about earlier in Acts. Now, Jesus himself just simply states this is wrong. If you look at Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Now, I just want to say right off the bat, our enemies are people who are out in the world that are not a part of our congregation, that do not believe. I'm not saying that everyone out there is our enemy. A lot of people are simply deceived. But some are our enemies. But nonetheless, notice what Jesus is telling us to do, even to those few who are truly um, enemies of God, and that makes them our enemy as well. And there's probably very few of those. I think most people are just deceived. But listen to what Jesus tells us. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Now notice what he said here, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Now, he's telling that to all of us who are willing to listen and hear what he has to say. He is telling us to plainly err on the side of love and generosity to all, even our enemies. So that means our congregation, our fellow Christians, those outside that are not fellow Christians, and even to those who are enemies of God and us. So we're, we're going that whole gamut. This is radical. It's radical in those days, and it's radical to our human minds to think this way now. But that is what Jesus is telling us. That's what the Lord is telling us to do. We can't in good conscience ignore what he's telling us to do. This is what he's teaching us, telling us. You can say he's commanding us. That's absolutely right. This is what he's telling us to do. So, these people all need our help, both physically and spiritually. This is required of us to be children of God and to follow Jesus' example. Now, I want you to realize what we are saying. We must be helping physically and spiritually. We can't just help spiritually 
you know, and tell them to go and be warm and be filled, like is mentioned in James. And I may mention that again because that's a good point to be had. This is required. This is the way we should be towards everyone to be a good neighbor. And if we look at uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37, if we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, we can see this is true. And this is, again, Jesus making basically the same argument, the same teaching, just in a different way. So this is Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37. But he, wanting to justify himself, now this was like a lawyer, if I remember correctly, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now notice he's wanting to justify himself. He's wanting to justify his actions. And Jesus knows his heart and knows what he's trying to do. He wants to limit and narrow the scope of who he has to be kind to. As Jesus has said, love your neighbor as yourself. So he's trying to narrow the scope of that. Well, I, I don't want to love all my neighbors. I just want to love these neighbors. So he's trying to limit that scope. So Jesus, then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half, half dead. Now notice, a certain man. Not a Jew. Not a Gentile. Not a Roman. We don't know who he is, just a certain man. Now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, the victim, he passed by on the other side. He made sure to stay well away. Does that mean he was a Gentile? Or does that just mean the priest doesn't care enough to even find out? We don't know. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side again. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. The reason Jesus used a Samaritan here, Samaritans are considered by the Jews to be unclean and unholy. So he's making a point that someone they would consider lesser and, you know, not clean, not wanted, not, uh, not somebody I would want to deal with. He's going to show here how this Samaritan, this lesser person, was better than their priest and their Levite in his heart and in his actions. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, that's like two days' wages, that's significant money, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three, now this is Jesus asking this lawyer, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? Well, the lawyer, he says, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus says to him, go and do likewise. That's being a good neighbor. You show mercy. It doesn't matter who the victim is. It doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter who you are. If You may not be. I'm certainly not the best Christian in the world, that's for sure. You may not be the best. 
And he may not be the best, or she, whoever the victim is, they may not be the best. But we can show mercy on them just like God does. We can have compassion on the unfortunate in this world. And actually, I was going to say it won't cost us anything, and it doesn't. But actually, we will be blessed by God. God plainly says back in Deuteronomy, if you go back to where we were reading, that we will be blessed. We should have compassion on the unfortunate in this world. And that's why when people make the excuse these funds are just for helping other Christians, they're wrong. I'm just going to say it bluntly and plainly, and that sounds mean. I'm not trying to be mean, but that's the wrong heart. That's the wrong attitude. Jesus makes that very plain. I always look to Jesus as our example. His teachings are what we need to follow. Finally, we do have our last excuse. We do not have the authority to do that. We only have authority to do what is in the Bible. Well, Jesus himself contradicts this, of course. But first... If you look at everything we've looked at so far, we are commanded to care for the poor and the needy in our land. We're commanded to treat our neighbor with mercy and love and care. And honestly, we don't have the authority to countermand that. We don't have the authority to go against what Jesus has taught us. We must obey if we want to follow Christ. So, Secondly, all authority was given to Jesus, and he commands us, as is mentioned here. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20. Again, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20. 18 through 20, I'm sorry. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, this is where I've lately been getting into this thing where Jesus, we have to remember Jesus is our lawgiver. In the Old Testament, God gave the law to Moses, and Moses gave it to the children of Israel. So in a way, Moses was their lawgiver, though ultimately it was God, right? For us, Jesus is our lawgiver, ultimately again, from God, but Jesus is our lawgiver. So that's where I get this, and I've been really getting into that mindset lately, that we really have to focus on Jesus and what he taught. It's just so important. But here, Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Then get this, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. That's great. A lot of times we stop after verse 19, but really pay attention to verse 20. This is a part of this commandment. Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Not some of the things, not a little bit of the things, not this thing and and maybe not that thing. All these things. All these things that I've taught you, that I've commanded you to do, teach this to others. So, in other words, observe, follow, act upon all the lessons he has provided us. That means all the things we have looked at and everything else Jesus taught us in the Gospels. 
we do not have the authority to not do those things. We don't have the authority to go against Jesus, what he said and what he taught. What are the two commandments that Jesus stressed to us? If we look at Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, Again, that's Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. We can see what he stressed to us. Reading, starting in verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? This was being asked of the Lord. Jesus said to him, You shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, if we stop right there, that is the great commandment, right? And if we love God like that, we will want to be like him in every way. And that includes his mercy, his love, everything. And that means all these people that were created in his image, which everyone in the world was, we will want to treat them properly and kindly, right? Let's let's continue. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So don't forget, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And don't forget who your neighbor is and how you should be as a neighbor. Remember the Good Samaritan. So when we use excuses for not aiding others, we are being just like, the Pharisees that Jesus reprimanded for not following what God has told us to do. If we are to be the Lord's hands and feet, then we must follow what he has directed us to do. This means following the heart and the spirit of the law and not trying to create a letter of the law excuse. We know that the heart of the Bible is that we are loved and given mercy When we deserve neither, we don't deserve it at all. I certainly do not. But that is what we must give others. If we want to be like God, if we want to be like Jesus, we have to do the same. We have to give others that same mercy and love and help, especially if they don't deserve it just like we don't deserve it. Then we can be like God. We can be like our Father. We can be like Jesus. And that's what we want to do, right? So we have to ask ourselves, is our hand open wide to our brother, to the needy and the poor in our land? Or are we making excuses? And what is our responsibility according to Jesus? Remember that Jesus, he is our example. He is our teacher. He is our lawgiver. He is our savior. He is our king. He is our high priest. And he will be our judge. So I want to thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. May God bless you and keep you safe. And remember, God loves you.